0: Stand to your feet for a second. The king of life is in the room. Jesus, you said in your word that where two or more are gathered, there you are. You are manifested in their midst. There you are. You are here. You're the king of glory. You're the eternal king. You're the creator of life. You're the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. You're the offering for our sin. You're the resurrected Lord who's alive and coming again. And you will rule and reign with a rod of iron over injustice and set up your kingdom on this earth, not some other place, this planet. Your kingdom is coming here. And it's why you told the kings of the earth to be careful, beware. Kiss the sun. Agree with him while you still can. Jesus, you're not just... Like an elf on the shelf watching us, you are the king of our hearts. You own this entire thing. You bought it with your precious blood. And you're in this room. Now I want to say this to you. Jesus never shows up and leaves you empty. Nobody in this room has to leave The same as they came here this morning. Whatever you need, He is more than enough. The Holy Spirit is moving in this room. We forget about it most of the time. But it's why when we come together like this and celebrate Him, we sense His presence in an unusual way because there's grace when we get together that we don't get when we're by ourselves. There's grace when we're alone. He's with us. But there are things that happen when we do what He said to do. He said, don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Why? Because there's something that happens here that only happens this way. It could be five, it could be two, it could be a hundred, it could be a hundred thousand. It doesn't matter. But there's grace here right now. Nobody needs to lay hands on you. Nobody needs to give you a word. He is the word to you right now. Celeste is sitting here on the front row, and a couple weeks ago she was sitting right here where Deborah's sitting, and nobody laid hands on her. We're just talking about Isaiah 53 and talking about Jesus, and He just touches her and heals her knee, takes away the pain. The doctor said what? You were going to have to deal with that for a really long time? Yeah, rest of your life. And nobody nobody even touched her, and Jesus touched her. She didn't even know what to do with herself. (laughs) What in the world just happened? The numbness left, the pain left. See, when Jesus, the author of life, shows up, death has to leave. It could be the death of a dream. It could be something that you gave up and buried because you lost hope. Or someone took something from you that wasn't theirs to take, but they did it by force, and you feel like you'll never have it back. could be in your physical body, your mind, your finances. Somebody stole from you. Maybe a partner in business stabbed you in the back. You see, Jesus has already paid for all of it. He picked up the tab not only for your sin but the, for the sin of everybody you had ever come in contact with and he's right here right now holy spirit we give you you don't need it but we say yes and give you permission we partner with what you want to do to restore broken lives, to restore what was lost, what the enemy stole, what the worm ate. And you want to give back, and you want to give it back more and more in spades. You want to return it back multifold, because you can, (laughs) and it's who you are. Anybody ever here ever seen a pecan tree when it's loaded down with pecans? Anybody ever seen that? Anybody here have pecan trees on their property? What out there eats pecans? Squirrels. We used to get paid five dollars for every one we shot, but then we had to eat them. They used to chew the wires in the attic get in the siding, cause all kinds of problems. They eat all the pecans. Who else likes to eat pecans? I like to eat pecans. There's a few of you that your body doesn't like it when you eat pecans, so you can't eat pecans. But that can be healed this morning too. (laughs) Some of you want to eat pecans, and the Lord's saying, I want you to eat pecans, so I'm going to take care of that this morning. There's never just enough pecans on a pecan tree to feed the squirrels. You ever notice that? How many of the pecans on a pecan tree get eaten by the squirrels, by us, or just rot on the ground because there's no one else left to eat all the pecans? And then there's still some left over. Do all the pecans on a pecan tree in a growing season ever all get eaten? No, some of them rot and become part of the soil for the next season. Why? You ever stop to wonder why? God, why do you waste so many pecans? Why, Ben, are you talking about pecans on a Sunday morning? Well, I don't know. I'm just going with the flow here. Apparently, he's talking about pecans. He made them. But have you ever ever stopped to notice? There's just... There's just too many of them. There's there's more than enough. God is not stingy. And he's not withholding from you. He doesn't withhold from the squirrels. You ever seen a skinny squirrel? <laughs> you ever see a squirrel with a sign? We'll work for pecans. (laughs) They have more than they need. There's more than enough. You can have a seat. So, we started this series on House of Restoration, and I want to take the ball down the court just a little bit, and Pastor Miguel will be here next week. He'll take the ball down the court a little bit further. He couldn't be here this morning because he's recovering. His house is recovering. Pray for them. One of the things that I noticed as we were going through this, even after after I taught uh, the the first week, was that we were focusing and we've been focusing heavily on process. Because how many of you have ever restored an old car or, or a house, you've remodeled a house, or anything like that? It isn't instant. It's a process, right? Makes sense. It makes sense that many, many things in our lives that are broken, that have that have not been right, that sin has broken, that life circumstances has broken and and decayed. Those things have to be restored in a process. Our hearts have to be restored in a process. There's no Disney magic for the human heart. But God can touch the human heart. Many times it's a process. But one of the things that we don't want to forget is that the God of process is also the God of miracles. And as you go through a process, God wants to do miracles, too. I meet process people who are process-only people. That's just what we'll call them this morning. There are people who are process-only. No more miracles. Mostly because we've been disappointed and we allow our disappointments and our worst experiences to dictate what God can do. So we put them in the box of our worst experiences. We let our circumstances, our disappointments, the things that didn't happen that we thought maybe should have or that God could have done, we let that determine our theology and define who He is and what He will and won't do in our lives, and we put them in a box. And then we tried to pull Scripture to try to support that. The reality is that God still heals. He still speaks. He still guides. He still leads. It's what He's done for thousands of years. It's what He will do until He comes and beyond. Because it's who He is. It's who He is. It's His nature. God's the same yesterday. What He said then, He's still saying now. Praise God, He's still saying it. What He said over my life, can't be undone by someone else's sin, and if I'm willing to repent, it can't even be undone by my own sin. Because God's Word over, overcomes everything. And, and you say, well, how is that possible? Doesn't sin ruin everything? Absolutely. But see, the cool thing is the Lamb was slain before sin ever existed. So the solution in redemption was released before there was ever a problem, meaning God saw the whole thing, and He knew how to get us all the way through this thing and redeem it, And in many cases, it'd be even better than when we started, before there was a problem. What's better than perfection? You ever thought about that? What's better than perfect? Well, there's nothing better than perfect. Is there anything better than perfect? Jesus said to the Pharisee, Simon, he who's been forgiven much does what? Loves much. So is it possible for there to be something better than the original state where Adam and Eve were? Could Adam and Eve love God to the depth of what was possible? In, perfect, in their perfection, without sin. I know, it's Sunday morning. Don't do this to us, Ben. I barely had time for one cup of coffee on the way out the door. Stop. Pop a peppermint. Take another sip. Let's keep going. <clears throat> Obviously, God thinks there's something better than perfection, because he's the one that authored this thing. Did we just hijack his plan and he had to scramble and figure out a way to make it work? So we like miracles. You meet process-only people, though. And I was looking in my refrigerator over Thanksgiving. Sometimes I just, I just want a pickle. I just want a salty, sharp Pickle. And I buy Vlasics because they snap. The Mount Olives don't snap. They just kind of (laughs) bend. Sorry if you work for them or maybe that's your family company. I got to have a snap. But you look at a pickle in the jar, it's kind of like this. (laughs) And process only people, God love them. They have a lot of character, but many times they look like this. I don't want to make the wrong decision. I don't want to to get outside the lines. I don't want to make a mistake. Everything's process. How are you doing, brother so-and-so? Oh, I'm in a process. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? But then you meet the miracle-only people. Oh, man. Lord, help us. (laughs) They're not like a pickle. I really don't know what they're like. They're all over the place. And they're like this. Maybe they're like, when I was growing up at Six Flags, it was the Judge Roy Scream. Anybody ever, ever ride the Judge Roy Scream? Anybody here with gray hair? It was like this. They're like this, everything's great, and I need a miracle. And then it, something doesn't happen, things fall through. They're, they're always coming up to the wire, and it seems like miracle-only people are really excited, but their character doesn't run real deep. They don't, they're not always real rooted. They're kind of running from one thing to the next, because it's all about the next encounter, the next miracle. And they don't ever want to submit to a... Process, and it's real easy to fall into one ditch or the other ditch, because, well, a good example from my own life: um, Katie's dad at sixty got cancer. You guys have heard me tell this story, and many, many people laid hands on him, prayed for him. We were in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That I mean, was like the, the mecca of healing ministries, right? I mean, some of the the Some of these world-renowned evangelists laid hands on him, and he never recovered. He knew all of them. He was associate pastor of a very, very large church for many, many years. And he wasn't healed. And he died nine months after getting cancer. And for a year and a half, my wife was... She couldn't pray for people. She was questioning, is this even real? Like everything I've ever believed. is this? Does God even still do this? And then... Just a handful of years later, my mom gets cancer. I get the phone call. But I had learned what to do since I was a little boy. My dad had taught me. He said, Ben, you don't have time to get into your head. As soon as something happens, you have about a split second. And the first thing you do is look up and say, God, what do you say about this? What what are you doing? What do you want to do? Because as soon as you partner with fear and with your natural mind, you go down the rabbit hole. So I get the call. Mom's got a serious thing. She's got about a football length tumor on her spine. It's eating away her T3. They're going to have to go in and replace her T3, take out all this cancer, put in titanium rods in her back. And then they're going to have to go look for the source of the cancer because cancer doesn't, what I'm told, originate on the spine. It comes from somewhere else. And so she may or may not have just a couple months to live. Right? Have you ever gotten that kind of news? And I'm standing in the dining room of our house in Tulsa, Oklahoma. At the time, this was some years ago, and it was like a punch in the face. And as soon as I hum- hung up the phone, I said, "Boys, come here. Katie, come here. We're going to ask the Father what He says about this because the doctors say this. Let's ask the Lord what He says." And so we prayed. And I said, you guys go into different rooms, and I want you to ask the Lord and see what He shows you. So Jack goes over here, John goes over here, Luke goes over here. They all come back together, and Jack says, I saw a finger reach in and touch the source of the cancer and heal it, okay? John said, I I think I heard the Lord say that He was going to heal where the cancer came from, okay? Luke comes in, really, really little, same thing. I saw a hand touch Nana and heal the cancer. Okay. We didn't, I didn't feed him any information. So we prayed again. I said, Lord, what do you want to do? And this is what came up in my spirit. Ask me and I'll give her 10 more years. Okay. So I said, father, I'm asking you for 10 more years in Jesus name. Okay. So I get back on the phone with my dad. I say, dad, the Lord's going to give her 10 more years. And he's going to heal the source of the cancer. Even if she has to go through surgery, God's going to touch her. Okay. And I'm sitting in the, the lunch room, the cafeteria at the hospital with, with, one of, uh, with another person. And they were talking about how she only had two months to live and we better get our stuff together and we better say our goodbyes. And I said, she's going to live 10 more years at least. Uh, I don't think so. She is, and God's going to touch the source of the cancer. She got out of the surgery, and the doctors cleaned up everything that they possibly could, but there was still a little bit left, and they still had to go back with the oncologist and do scans to get at the, okay, where's the source and all the chemo and the radiation we need to do, but the prognosis was still maybe just a couple months. But they're doing their due diligence. When just a handful of years before, our father-in-law didn't make it through. But see, this time, the Lord... Sent a word. We weren't just quoting scriptures. We were doing Matthew 4.4. 4. I don't live by bread. I live from every word that comes out of his mouth. We're not living by rules and principles. We're living by his presence. And thank God there are rules and principles. But how do you know what to apply when? You sit before him, the author of the word. Well, God doesn't do it like that. You just have to have the Word. Well, yeah, you do have to have the Word with a capital W. That's Jesus. Let's not divorce Him from (laughs) what He wrote, (laughs) His very presence. That's why He sent the Holy Spirit. So she gets out of surgery, and then she meets with her oncologist. They start doing scans. They have very successful surgery. She's in a lot of pain, deciding whether to make it through it because it was so horrendous, the recovery. But the oncologist goes in, they do scans, they say, we can't find the source of this cancer. And in fact, we cleaned up what we could, but there's just no more cancer in your body. We can't find any. We don't know what happened. It looks like this thing, whole thing's turning around, but we can't explain it. But then just a couple of years ago, my brother-in-law passes away from COVID. And we prayed for him. And I remember we were in the car and we did a Matthew 4-4 moment. Katie and I both prayed, Lord, we got the call, come back to Tulsa. He's in the hospital. He's in a coma. We've all had this kind of news. And we stopped and we prayed and said, Lord, what do you want to do? And he dead gummit, he didn't say anything. And I so badly in those moments, you want to just slap scripture on it and just believe. But he didn't say anything. And I looked in the rearview mirror and tears were coming down Katie's cheeks. And I said, what do you think, babe? What did you hear? She said, I didn't hear anything. And we knew. I'm not trying to explain it. Why? I'm not trying to figure it out in my head and make a theology out of it. I just want to sit at the feet of Jesus and know what's possible with the king of life. And to know Peter and James both went into prison and James was beheaded and Peter was let out by an angel. And a lot of people get real fancy with theology and say, well, the church wasn't praying for James like they were for Peter. That's why. (laughs) Hogwash. That's a bunch of malarkey. And if you disagree, you can write me an angry email later, and we can talk in the lobby, and you can walk off mad. But I'm telling you right now, the church was a praying church. Death on this side is not the end. It's just the beginning, and God knows that. And he's not sad. He's the author of life. He'll grieve with us in our grief, and he will weep with us in our sorrow, but he sees way past this. And we have to see past it too. But I will tell you this, if you sit at his feet long enough, there's going to be times when you hear a word and it blows your mind and you go, God, that's not possible. And he says, yeah, but with me, it's possible. Just trust me and walk this out. And then you're going to have some times when you get on your face and you weep and you feel like, God, where are you? And then you're going to have times on the mountaintop where you go, yay, God, (laughs) Because breakthrough came, and God did something really fantastic. And you're not going to be able to explain why it's one way or the other sometimes. Until sometimes many years later. And you look back and go, oh, I had no idea that was going on. Now I understand. But in the moment, you won't. You see, God's a God of process, but God is also a God of breakthrough. And we call it post and rail. Anybody here? Greatest Journey folks. Where's the Greatest Journey folks? Anybody here? We call it post and rail. We commit to a process, but we expect God to break in during the process. The reason we call it post and rail is because anybody here ever built a fence, chain link, picket, aluminum, metal, whatever, they all operate on the same principle. You put in posts. You sink them down into the ground, you concrete them in, and then you stand back and go, wow, check out my fence. This is so cool. No, all you have are posts. But those posts are really important. They hold some things together. Then you, you do the hard work of putting rails in between those posts, and when you have posts and you have rails, you have a fence. But if I've got all rails and no posts, what do I have? I just have piles of lumber, and all the critters still get in, and my pets still get out, and my kids still get out. And if you have all posts and no rails, what do you have? You have a hair comb. (laughs) Stuff still goes in and out. What we have to have is both. A house of restoration is a house that's not afraid of process, of character development, of going deep, and of sticking with it over the many years that it takes for things to develop in our hearts, but is also a house that will reach up in faith and grab a hold of heaven and grab a hold of brokenness in the earth and say, God, do it again. We trust you. We believe in you. We believe your promises are true for today, just like they were yesterday, just like they were a hundred years ago, just like they were a thousand years ago, do it again. And no matter what happens, we will trust you. If I can't explain it, I'll trust you. See, we walk a process of obedience, we walk out the Word of God and we do reconciliation, we do repentance, we do forgiveness, we do... Repetition over and over we get up and we do it again. We walk faithfully before the Lord in process and our characters developed our relationships and trust is developed and that way we don't get out of toxic patterns and say well it's not my fault or well God didn't show up so I'm just kind of this way this is how he made me no 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 no. you don't want to submit to a process. But we're also going to be the kind of people that believe God in the middle of the process. We know that there's encouragement needed. There's breakthrough needed. There are moments where God steps in and goes, okay, daughter, you've been sitting here for a year in process, and now I'm going to touch you, and I'm going to take something away that's hindering you. Did God have to heal Celestine? Is he obligated to do that? Well, some would say, well, yeah, in his word, he says that's what he does. But I'm going to tell you right now, I just sit at the feet of a good father and go, I trust you. (laughs) I'm not entitled to anything, but I do have inheritance. (laughs) But I trust you to release inheritance to me, and I'll partner with you in faith for whatever you want to do. And he awakens our faith in the midst of the process. So we stay out of these two extreme mindsets of process only, miracles only. We we live a life with Jesus in the restoration journey and we expect him to break in. You know, this uh, there was another thing that happened that was really I was just reminded looking down at the page. We walked with some friends and their parents moved into town because they both had cancer and they stayed with them, stayed in their home. And they both got really really sick. It started looking really bad for especially for the mom. The, the grandma. And I said, Lord, what do you want to do here? And he said, one will be left and one will be taken. <sighs> okay. That's just what I felt in my gut. I didn't tell anybody at the time. This was years ago. And the husband had uh, stage four cancer. I mean, his prognosis was very, very poor was not going to survive it. The wife had breast cancer, but it was early enough that they had caught it, they were going to be able to deal with it. So in my natural mind, I thought, oh, no, she's going to, she's going to live this out, and he's not going to make it. But then there was a, a service on a Sunday night, and one of the ladies who actually was here uh, a few years ago, Corey Devary. She got up and she gave a word of encouragement to the body. And as she was speaking, you can see it. I wasn't there in the service. I saw it on the camera, on the video. He, went, he just suddenly was standing there at the front and then he just hit the floor. He just went down like somebody had taken him and just shoved him down to the ground. And it was shocking. And then he got back up and he said, I felt like I got hit by a bolt of lightning. And God touched him just like that. Nobody laid hands on him. Nobody said anything to him. God just said, son, I'm touching you. After stage four cancer and just months to live, he's now rebuilding motorcycles, bought a house, does pushups every day. And he got, and he ended up getting remarried because his wife who wasn't even that severe, she ended up passing away. Not that many months later. But here's the amazing thing. I sat at the foot of her bed the last couple of days as she was literally about to go be with the Lord. And she was sitting there. She would wake up and be in the room and look at, look at us and talk to us, and then she would lay back down and close her eyes, and a big smile would come on her face, and she would just start describing Jesus. <laughs> and she was not on pain medication at the, at the end. So this was not like, you know, pink elephants. She was actually seeing, and one of the sons who was there, adult sons of hers, and I was just a friend, they invited me in to be a part of this. He said, Nana, we just want you to know how much we love you and the grandkids love you. And she, big smile on her face. She was so tiny. She had just kind of, her body had just gotten really small. And she said, yeah, thank you, but if you could just see him you wouldn't even think about me he's so beautiful and you could feel you could feel like this horizontal gravity like everything in the room was being sucked like a tractor beam right to jesus in heaven it's just go, things are going past you to him nobody's even looking this way or that way it was just all eyes on jesus as she said oh he's so beautiful i can't wait to be with him you guys, he's so he's so amazing. <laughs> so, we're sitting there being completely in awe of the beauty of Jesus in the presence of death. And I learned something very important at that moment. Someone who has believed in Jesus, the author of life, never actually sees death. We do on this side. They don't. Paul said it in the Word. You go from one life to the next, and you never see death. She went from laying in the bed, talking about Jesus, and she finally closed her eyes, and she was with him. And she went from life to life, and she never saw death. And on this side, we grieve and we mourn, and sometimes that's a long process because it hurts really bad to have that hole in your heart. Why? Because we weren't made for that. That's not what we were designed for. We were designed to be together. We were designed for intimacy in a relationship. We were not designed for death to break this thing apart. It's like putting apple juice in your Corvette. It doesn't run, it doesn't run as good. And I quit trying to make all kinds of rules. I just started saying, wow, this is way bigger than me. There's a whole lot of stuff in the scriptures, but I just want I'm going to I want to know what, I want to know what the word says and then I want to sit at your feet Jesus and let you interpret the scriptures for me. I want to let you tell me what you're going to do. And you say, "Well, Ben, that's really cool that you hear like that, but I don't hear like that." Look, I don't I don't hear like nothing. I just like if you and I were just sitting here having a conversation, could I hear you? If you're talking, yeah. She's like, this has got to be a trick question. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, we just be talking. And you say, well, God, maybe God just speaks to some people and not other people. I'm sorry. Can you hear the sound of my voice? Are there some people in this room who just aren't able to understand or able to hear? No, We all, ha- we all have it. You have the ability to hear Him and sit at His feet and know what's in His heart and what's in His mind because His Spirit lives on the inside of you. There's nothing special about me. There's nothing special about a pastor or an evangelist or a, a business owner. You could be working minimum wage at McDonald's, Dunkin' Fries, and a Vada grease and be hearing from the Holy Spirit all day long. So I ask the question, all right, where does our restoration come from? We've been talking a lot about what God wants to restore, but like they were singing about this morning, why does He restore? Where does it come from? Who's who's footing the bill for this thing? Some of you have been here a long time, and some of you are still new to this. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read a couple passages of Scripture before we go. Ephesians 1. They're probably not going to have it on the screen. But if you have your phone, pull out your phone and follow along. If you have your Bible, turn. We have gotten away from bringing our Bibles to church, right? Everybody just kind of sits there and waits to see it. There's a few. There's a few. Bring bring your Bible. Write in it. Underline stuff. Read it. Memorize it. Think about it. Chew on it. It'll, it'll work. It'll bring life to your life. Paul is praying for the believers in Ephesus, and he starts this way in verse 16, and this is appropriate. It's Thanksgiving weekend. I don't cease. I don't stop giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. That the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, what's Paul saying here? If you want to see people the way I see people, God speaking, you're going to have to have revelation understanding. How many of you have ever looked at your kids and not seen them the way God sees them? (laughs) how many of you kids have ever looked at your parents and not seen them (laughs) the way God sees them? If you're going to look past the flesh, you're going to have to have your spiritual eyes opened to what God is doing. Past this right here. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? Say, toward me. So if you're going to see not only what's in other people of God, what he's doing in the earth, but if you're going to catch a glimpse of a of the power of God in fact a greatness that's so great Paul has to use like five different four or five different words for power in this one verse just to describe the power that he has a revelation of of who God is it's like there's like literally five synonyms he's trying to describe something of God that's so surpassingly great so powerful that it's indescribable. And he says, if you're going to get this, if you're going to understand what you have available to you, what God is offering towards you in Christ, you're going to have to have revelation understanding. You can't just... You're not just going to read the words on the page with your natural mind and get it. You're going to have to have the eyes of your heart opened. Your heart's going to have to be moved. Your guts are going to have to be moved. And you're going to have to get something beyond your natural mind in your spirit, man. And then you're going to begin to touch and be able to receive a power that's so surpassingly great. There's nothing in this world that's going to give you a frame of reference for it. That's how amazing it is. And it's towards you. If it's towards you, that means it's available to you, but does that mean you've taken it? On Christmas morning, I'm going to give presents towards my children. I'm going to offer them gifts, but what do they have to do? They have to take it, receive it, and then open it. And why, why does he say this? It's towards those who what? Belief, who have the eyes of their heart opened and who believe him. See, it takes faith to unwrap the gifts of God that are towards us in Christ Jesus. That's why Hebrews 3 and 4 says, Those who rebelled in the wilderness during the wilderness wanderings when they left Egypt, they didn't mix the promises of God with faith, but they had unbelief and hardness of heart because of the deceitfulness of sin. Therefore, they were not able to step into the promised land. They didn't enter into the rest of God because they wouldn't mix his promises with faith. What he was saying, they couldn't believe it. They wouldn't partner with it. Therefore, what he was offering to them, they couldn't have. Not because he was withholding, but because they would not receive. So there's a greatness of power being offered to us in Christ. We have to have revelation to see it, faith to receive it. But then look at this. He describes where this power comes from. You say, well, what kind of power? Is this just light or kind of amorphous power just sort of happens like in, uh, I don't know, Marvel movies. Is this just power? What is this? He describes it. No, this is real. In verse 20, this is the power which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the Father's right hand in the heavenly places or in the heavenlies. So the greatest working of God, the greatest power on display in all of creation is in the resurrection of Jesus Christ up out of death, out of the grave, when he became alive from death. Nobody, no other person, this is the first time this had ever happened, no other person raised him from from the dead, which had happened before. God raised Jesus from the dead. In fact, Jesus said, he's given me authority to take up my own life. Which was it? Was it God? Was it Jesus? Yes. Every evil power of man in the natural realm and every demon in the spirit realm, even Satan's most cunning work as he strained and labored to to defeat the plan of God was of no avail. Satan's power was defeated and overthrown by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the power of sin was defeated by His perfect blood given in our place. The fear of death, the power of death, which is the fear of death and of being separated was defeated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You're going to come up out of a grave one day when He returns. Your body is going to be raised just like His. Not only that, but sickness was defeated on the cross. Demonic torment was defeated on the cross. Depression was defeated at Calvary. When He took sin on Himself for you and I and poured out His innocent blood, It was paid for. And then when he came up out of the grave, the power of what he did was then transferred and offered to us who believe. Will you take it? Will you have me? The author of life. Suicide, suicidal thoughts, was defeated at the cross. The spirit of death. When the fear of living exceeds the fear of dying. Did you know it's possible to be more afraid to live another day than it is to die today? That's a tremendous amount of fear. To go beyond your own desire for self-preservation because you're already dead on the inside. There's, that's in this room right now. I'm going to tell you right now, that's been defeated not just because he broke it, but because he wants to give you life on the inside where you've died and bring you up out of a pit, a truly a pit of hopelessness and despair. Everything that puts you in that pit, even your own failure and your own sin, he paid for and he's forgiven you of it. And even the ones who did it to you, took from you, he has forgiven them. And if you'll receive it, he wants to bring you up out of that pit. Cancer was defeated on the cross. It was. He took cancer into his own body and he won over it. It was buried in the ground with him, and he raised up Lord over it. Is, is Philippians 2 true when it says that he's been given a name that's above every other name? We talk about cancer like it's a person, a name. And it has a tremendous amount of power in our lives and things like it because of the fear that it brings, the pain that it brings, But Jesus is Lord over the fear of that and over the disease itself. Anxiety about the future, fear for provision and anxiety about lack, perversion, bondage to pornography, homosexuality, homosexual attraction. He's Lord over all of it. He's defeated the perversion of it, the lust. Maybe that entered in when you were a child because you were defiled and it made you believe that that's just who you were. You were exposed to something early on that you never should have seen. You never should have experienced. I went through the same thing. And he set me free from all of it. Why? He's the author of life and what brings life. And he'll take what's operating on the inside of you that's bringing death. And he'll take it and pull, he pulls it into himself on Calvary and says, Now let me give you resurrection life on the inside. And it'll transform you from the inside out, even your natural body. I love there was a sister sitting next to Celeste a couple weeks ago, and she said, Celeste, maybe all the stuff that God is doing in your heart is just starting to manifest in your body. <laughs> That's my cue. Thank you. Move me along, please. Everybody in my in the live hole class knows they have there's this one lady that set an alarm. Ben, it's time to go. Yes, ma'am. Katie pulled me back into the the portable before service, and she made me look into the eyes of all the volunteers. And she said, it wasn't my idea, it was her idea, it was one of the the class teachers, uh, that if I don't end on time, I'm going to have to go back there and teach the K-5 and first graders next week. Which I do sometimes. (laughs) We're going to end on time. Oh, I love it. So good. Stand to your feet. I would have loved to have gotten into some other passages, other things, just to encourage you where our restoration comes from, the price that he paid, his not only power to heal and restore your life and your body, your finances, your marriage, your family, not only the power to do it, but the fact that he really wants to and is excited about it. God knows how to heal. God knows when to heal you. He wants to heal you, your life, and He knows why you need to be healed. See, He's got the whole thing. If you just understood the love of a Heavenly Father over your life, you would not be afraid. Of anything, this gentleman back here in the ball cap. Yep. Love of the Heavenly Father is restoring to you some years. There's just a handful, and the Lord's restoring that pocket of time. I just see a pocket of time. It's not like the whole thing was bad, but I saw just a little pocket of time. And the Father wants to restore to you what was lost during that time. He wants you to know your inheritance. And within the next year, too, young man, you will not be hiding. I saw you hiding. Like Adam when he put fig leaves over himself. And the Father said, no, I have a better sacrifice. I have a better covering for you. And I'm going to bring you up out of your type of hiding. Yep. See, you just did that. You took it off. And the Father's going to teach you how to hold your head up again. Would the prayer team just come up, and I know we need to go get kids, And but I know that there's some of you here, whether you're wrestling with thoughts of suicide or there's stuff going on in your body, your family, your marriage, and you want a prayer of agreement to say, I, I need to lay hold of this, the promises of God that are in Christ Jesus, but I need help because my faith is about like this, hanging on by a thread. Look, that's why James 5 says, call the elders of the church, let them anoint the sick with oil and pray for the sick. Let them confess their faults, their sins to one another that they may be healed, and then let the elders pray for them so that God will restore. Sometimes you're holding on by a thread and it takes locking arms with a Joe and a Dana or or whoever's over here, just locking arms and saying, would you believe with me because my faith is really small, but I need help. And then God will honor the faith of another on your behalf just because your yes is on the table, like the paralyzed man who couldn't even get himself to Jesus, but his friends did. And Jesus saw their faith and healed the man. You say, but I'm not worthy. I, I I shouldn't even be here. This is the absolute best place for you to be when you don't feel like you should be here. Because on your worst day, the Heavenly Father is running after you. If you need prayer, if you want agreement for it, doesn't matter if it's your finances. Or maybe it's somebody else in your family, and then you're going, God, I can't control that. I can't make that happen. I need, we need breakthrough. I need help. God, I need you to do something in this person's heart. Just come and get agreement. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the author and the giver of life, and you don't give and then take away <laughs> any more than you can take away your son from us. You said every good and perfect gift comes from you. There's no turning. There's no shadow of turning in you. You don't tempt. You don't accuse. You do judge. But you heal and you restore and you save and you're patient and you're kind and you wait for us. So, Father, right now, we commit in our hearts to expect from you to expect your touch, that in the process we expect, expect your breakthrough, your breaking in and bringing your touch. Jesus, is what you love to do. You're the restorer of our souls, as David said. Father, I bless every person in this room and I ask that you would go before and behind and beside, that you would, in all things and in every season, Draw every single heart to yourself. Open our eyes. God, give us a spirit of revelation and understanding in the knowledge of Christ Jesus that we would know the surpassing greatness of the power that's been made available towards us in Christ Jesus and not miss it, not be blind to it another day, not be numb to who you are and what you've given. God, we repent for putting you in a box that you didn't create, that you didn't say to put you in. Lord, we say, yes, you restore, you heal. You do it the way you want to do it, when you want to do it, how you want to do it. You're the king, not us. But we will receive from you as a good father. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for bringing Jeff safely home with Liam. And Lord, all the hearts you want to touch on their journey, the connections you want to make, not just for Jeff, Pastor Jeff, but Lord, for this body because of, who, of what he represents when he goes. Lord, we thank you for new family members to come out of this trip. I just want to say this to you, Pastor Sarah, that not only is the Lord going to bring him home safely, but the Lord's growing the family. The Lord's growing this family, but all over the earth. And the Lord is increasing this family, not decreasing it. There's increase over this family, not decrease. And he's going to do way more than just keep him safe. <laughs> You're in good hands. Not Allstate. Lord, we love you. You're so good. If you want prayer, come. Uh, go get your kids. Tell Pastor Katie that I'm off the hook for next week. You still have three minutes. I love you guys. Come get prayer if you need it. Have a blessed week.